morning. <clears throat> Never had John Piper open. Um, well, I'm thankful to be here today. Uh, I chose that clip because we are going to talk about prayer today. And uh, you know, my name is Ben. Uh, my wife and I do the kids' ministry, and we've been for a couple years. We enjoy it. We love it. And uh, Pastor John's out. He's out for a couple weeks. And on vacation. He asked me to share uh, last last uh, um, brother. Uh, he asked to speak and uh, Brian for Christmas Eve. And so I'm up today, the first Sunday of the month. And he asked me, uh, hey, pick a passage for you or do you want me? Sure. Um, in my ear. The first again. All right. Where am I at? Are we good? All right. Whoa. <laughs> We have fun here at Eagle Bible. So uh, Judd asked me to share, and uh, he said, hey, do you, wanna, do you want me to pick the topic for you, or do you want to pick it? And I said, no, I want you to pick it for me. I want to I hear what your heart is. And he said, prayer. Man, I want you to talk about prayer. It's the first Sunday of 2015. And uh, he said, I want you to focus on Psalm 119. Pick a verse in there. And uh, so today I figured instead of preparing, we're just going to read all of 119, which is 176 verses. And uh, that'll do it. But, um, you know, I studied 119, uh, just the chapter, and uh, there's a lot of meat in that verse, or in that chapter. It's obviously the longest of, of all the Psalms. It's called the Mount Everest of all the Psalms. So if you want, you can turn your Bibles to 119. I'll share what verse right now. Uh, we will be in verse 18. But uh, it's really good, uh, kind of setting you up for Psalm 119. I kind of wanted to share be a little history in that. So as we begin, before we begin, let's open up in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just, uh, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being here, God. We thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to open your word and to uh, open it freely and publicly. And God, we um, ask right now, God, that you would open our eyes and that you would reveal yourself to us. God, I pray that uh, you speak to me, you speak to everyone in here. God, we're simply uh, followers of you who are trying daily to follow you and to, to be led by you. And so, God, would you speak to us, God? We, we believe, God, that prayer is a powerful thing and that you want us as a church to, to even believe that more this year than ever before. And so, God... Pray for uh, Pastor Judd, wherever he's at right now with his family. And Ashley, God, I pray you just be with them, that you'd watch over them. Pray for a hedge of protection, for safety. And God, would you um, just continue to open our hearts today? We ask in your name. Amen. So Psalm 119. A lot of people believe, or some believe, that Daniel or Ezra wrote this. Uh, many believe that it was David. Um, there is no authorship. We can't say 100% this is who it was. But regardless of that... Um, the content is more important than who wrote it. If you've ever read 119, it's, 
It takes a while, but it's amazing uh, what, what it's composed of. If you look in your Bible, you'll see that there's, there's a section there. It's eight verses, and then it breaks, and then eight sections, and it breaks. So what it is, it's composed of 22 different sections containing eight lines or verses in each section. The verses of each stanza begin with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So you'll notice it says Alpha, Bet, Gemel, Dalet, He, etc., etc. So it's likely written over a period of time. Scholars believe that, that it wasn't just one person who sat down and wrote it all in one. Uh, that would take a while, but more than that, it doesn't seem to follow a smooth flow of thought. So they believe that they wrote it in sections and later compiled it. One, one, one comp- or, uh, person said, the sections of verses are not like a chain where one link is connected to the other, but like a string of pearls where each pearl has equal but independent value. I think that's pretty cool. Psalm 119 glorifies God over and over. Man, I'll tell you, as I read this, I read a commentary that said that it refers to the word of God over and over and over and over and over again. There were people, it was a people group of uh, uh, scholars called the Masoretes between the 6th and 10th century, and their job was to preserve the scriptures in the Bible. And they said that in this chapter, Psalm 119, the word of God is mentioned in every verse except for verse 122. Other people disagree with that. They say that verse 84, 90, 121, and 132 do not mention it. Regardless how you look at it, the word is mentioned 171 times of 176 verses. It's kind of like one of those little uh, ding moments like, oh, I, I think the word, I think God's trying to speak to us about this, about his word here. As I said, it's the longest, longest chapter in the Bible, and the longest verse, or excuse me, chapter in Psalms. Interesting fact here about Psalm 119. George Wishart was a bishop in Edinburgh in the 17th century. Wishart was condemned to death and would have been executed. But when he was, in, when he was on the scaffold, he made use of the custom that allowed the condemned person to choose one psalm to be sung, and he chose Psalm 119. Before two-thirds of the psalm was sung, his pardon arrived, and his life was spared. Pretty cool, huh? Good thing he didn't choose Psalm, uh, 117, which only has two verses, right? Uh, he would have been gone. So smart man chose 119. So as we, as we, as we dive into 119, uh, as I said, Pastor just said, hey, pick a verse, pick two verses, three verses, whatever you want, just kind of choose something that really talks about prayer. And I'm like, oh, man, there's 176 verses. Like, I've read this. It's good. It's kind of saying, okay, pick your favorite verse in the Bible, and that's the verse. And it's like, man, which do you choose? Because I've had different seasons of my life where this verse just meant so much, and this verse meant so much. So there I am in Psalm 119, and I, I ran across verse 18 right here. I think it's a great way to start 2015. It says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes that I may see. See, sight, I think, is something we take for granted at times, right? You wake up, you're looking, and you just, oh, whatever. You take it for granted. I'll tell you, Christmas morning, I'm so glad I had a sight. That's what I'm excited about as a parent, right? To go ahead and, and watch your kids uh, uh, get their gifts and open them up and be screaming and yelling. And um, I was as giddy as a schoolgirl on, on Christmas morning. That's right. I said it. But to see the look on my kids' faces, we got makeup. Belle, of course, was like, oh, I love makeup. Oh, you know, she loves makeup. It's like lip gloss. Some of you guys are like, man, you're giving your kid makeup now? Uh, yeah, because it's play makeup. 
Um, a stuffed animal, of course, they're loving stuffed animals. Ava got a little toolbox, you know, like real tools, like real I can hurt myself tools that were pink, and uh, there's no way to learn better. Um, a couple gifts that I got that I wanted to kind of share with you before uh, it was this. Uh, I got this, somebody got me, a camera got me this for Cy. Little Oakland A's right there, baseball. My A's are coming to town in June, and uh, they come every four years. So Cameron knows that I'm excited for that. I've already told her we're getting tickets. Um, and the other gift that I got that I think you guys will appreciate is a toilet mug. <laughs> Pretty good. The, the funny thing about this is a week pr- prior to this, I was actually online. I said, Cameron, look at this mug. And she's trying to hide it, try not to laugh. She's like, nah, you don't want that mug. Uh, they already bought it, so they know how I think, apparently. Um, but man, Christmas morning, waking up, seeing your kid's face, that's what it's all about, right? Being able to be there with your family, share Christ. And if you weren't there Christmas morning, this season of just being able to see your kids, it's, 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 it makes it worth it. We got to share about what we were thankful for that year and, and, and reflect on the year. And I couldn't imagine not seeing them. But I'll tell you, here, the psalmist in, in, in verse 18, he's not talking about just a physical sight. He's talking about a spiritual sight because that's everything. The psalmist is praying for spiritual sight because he knows that that only comes from God, from no one else. He says, open my eyes that I may see. That's a prayer from the heart of this psalmist, and yet I think it's a real tough and challenging prayer. So today we're going to look at three areas where I want to say let's, let's focus our time with these three areas and, and, and talking about how God can open our eyes. But first, I think, before anything, we've got to take the example of this psalmist. And the first thing is humility. Humility is needed for you and I to pray this. He recognized that without God's help, God's enlightenment, he could not see what he could or should through God's word. You know, there's times in my life when I'm reading the Bible and I'm just like, man, it's not popping out to me. Like, I'm not, like, I get it, I get the words, but it's not life-changing at this moment. You're just reading it out of discipline, and, and sometimes that's right. And there's other times where I've been like, God, I need you to speak to me right now. I need you to speak to me. Humility is the quality or condition of being humble. The opposite of humility is arrogance, self-importance, or pride. So in those moments when I'm like, God, this isn't speaking to me, man, this, this is just words on a paper, it's either two things. Either one, either God's word is just words on a paper, it's irrelevant, it's too confusing, or two, my heart is not where it needs to be. Which takes more humility to say, right? Uh, so Psalm 25, verse 9 says, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. See, so saying and praying that, open my eyes, Lord, really is admitting, I can't see. I'm blind. I need you to give me eyes right now. And so in Psalm 118, he says, open my eyes. The interesting thing about this is when he says the word open, it's referred to, it's also used in the story of Balaam where the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. I mean, you remember that story? If you don't, there's a story of Balaam. I'll give you the 20-second crash course, uh, a story of this man named Balaam who, who had a knowledge of God. Uh, Moabite king Balak sends men to uh, Balaam. He says, hey, I want you to go get this guy. Tell him to put a curse on the Israelites because 
I'm afraid of these guys. I need a curse on them. So these men go, and, and they, they, they stay with Balaam because Balaam says, hey, crash here tonight. And because he says that, God sees his heart. That really, Balaam just wants the money, right? Because the king's going to say, hey, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you some money. So Balaam rose, or they rose in the morning, and, and God says, send them back, but don't go with them. And so Balaam goes to them, or tells them, hey, go back to your land. The Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. In other words, he's kind of like saying, I want to go, but God says I can't go with you. You know, as a kid, when, when your buddy tells you to do something, and, and you're like, I want to, but my mom won't let me go. You know, it's, or my dad says it's not okay for me to do that. You blame it on them so they know that you want to go, that you want to go break a window, but your mom says it's not good. You know, it's kind of like that. You're, you, you understand that. We've all gone through that. And so that's what Balaam is doing. And so the guys go back to the king, and, and the king sends even more men with more money. He says, tell them to get over here. So God sees Balaam's heart again because, uh, so this time he, see, he allows him to go with him. And while riding the donkey, the donkey sees an angel of the Lord. And this is where we'll pick up in Numbers chapter 22, verse 22 through 31. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of his adversary. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way of his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey and turned her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the arrow path between the vineyards. With the wall on this, with the wall on this side and the wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel, the Lord, the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, And I, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours? To this day was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said no. So let's just pause right there. Balaam's conversing with the donkey. At no point did he say, what's going on? What are you doing? Wait, wait a second. I'm talking to a donkey. He is so angry that he's having a full-on conversation with this donkey. Now, now we either believe that, that God's word is true or you don't. And if you do, then that's pretty perplexing. That's pretty amazing to think that this guy is so angry that he's conversing with the donkey. Have you ever been this angry? Your eyes are closed to reality and what's really happening and, 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 and nothing matters but how you feel in that moment. It says in the next verse, it says, Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way of his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. There was a, a time when, right before Cameron and I got married, I was working, and, and she was, she was uh, going to go buy me. I needed to pack lunches for the week. So, so she's like, hey, what kind of chips do you like? And I said, I like Doritos. And so she goes to the store, and she, there's a sale, buy two, get one free. 
It's like all these different kinds. She buys two Doritos and like a barbecue. And then like two more Doritos and barbecue. So she bought like nine. She's like, oh, it'll last them, you know, two days or whatever. And, uh, you know, it'll last a while. Um, so she bought them. And, and when, I, when I got it, she's like, hey, babe, I got you this. And I'm like, I told you I like Doritos. She was like, yeah, I know. I bought you six bags of Doritos, but I bought you also three of barbecue. So I switched it up. And I was like, yeah, but I told you I wanted Doritos. Like, why did you tell me? Like, why'd you ask me and then not buy me that? She's like, I'm just, I just thought I'd switch it up. I'm like, well, I want to know why you bought me, like, barbecue. I asked specifically for Doritos. And, and we began to argue about this. And we're sitting in the car for 25 minutes arguing. And I wanted to know why she bought barbecue when I told her I want Doritos. And she's just like, I, I don't know what to say. I, this is frust- This is stupid. We're arguing about Doritos. I go, it's not stupid. This is real. Like, come on. And I was really angry. And man, like Balaam, the Lord opened her eyes um, to see how foolish she was. Um, no, but 25 minutes later, like the Lord opened our eyes. Like, what are you guys doing? You're arguing about Doritos? Really? It was not just these physical lies, but this, these spiritual lies that, that, that the Lord did to Balaam. He opened his eyes. It wasn't like a, ah, uh, okay, cool, an angel. It was this boom, aha moment where, where, where God said, only with my enlightenment and my power are you going to be able to see this angel in front of this donkey. Are you going to realize you're conversing with this donkey, right? And in Psalm 119, verse 18, as we're, we're looking at that, it's used in the same fashion. An opening that only God can bring. Unlike Balaam, the psalmist is praying with humility, saying, Lord, open my eyes. So as we continue on the topic of prayer, knowing that God hears our prayers, there's three areas that I wanted to speak to, speak about today. You know, you guys have all seen this logo up here, Eagle Bible Church, Christ Church Culture. They're not just cool little pictures that I think Judd and the elders thought of and said, hey, this would be cool. Every church has one of these. Let's, this is like a real thing that They've prayed over and they thought about and they prayed about and they, they, they thought, what do we want our church to be about? So why we exist as a church and how God can open our eyes. These logos, there's a, there's a quote here, or excuse me, a sentence. that says, Eagle Bible Church, when you go to our website, it says, Eagle Bible Church exists to bring glory to God and good to the world as followers of Christ's commitment to a church or excuse me, followers of Christ, commitment to a church influencing culture. This is glory to God, how as, how? as followers of Christ. So I want to talk today about opening our eyes, asking God to open our eyes to Christ, asking the Lord to open our eyes to the church, and opening our eyes to our culture. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Ephesians, or it's up here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. Here we see Paul writing. He says, as we talk about opening our eyes to Christ. He says, I keep asking. So in other words, Paul here is praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Seems like Paul is believing this, that prayer causes things to happen, right? Why is he doing that? It says, so that you may know him better. First off, that's the goal that, that Paul is having, 
when he's writing to the Ephesians. He's, he's interceding. He's praying. He's on his knees asking the Lord and praying and, and, and begging the Lord, please, may you give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's what their prayers, his prayers for them. He says in 18, I pray, there he is again praying, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So here Paul prayed that God would give the Ephesians a spirit of wisdom. Why? So that they would know him better. See, God longs to know us. He, he longs for us to know him. It's not this relationship that God says, I'm up here, you're down there. We got so much distance between us. It's this, I want to personally know you. And here Paul understands that, and he wants the Ephesians to understand the gift that God has given them in Christ. The gift of Christ, man, it's so, so I think, relevant to this time of year, right? As we just celebrated Christmas, you gave your kids gifts. Uh, they get, you, you, got re- you received gifts. And, and I'll tell you, as a kid, I think one of the worst things as a, as a kid, getting the gift is a battery-operated gift, and you don't have batteries. Like this cool race car, and all the parents are like, oh, gosh, that was me. Oh, I'm so sorry. Right? But this cool race car, this cool remote control something, or the, the remote control cars that take three to four hours to charge. It's this thing of like, here's this toy that you want so badly, and we don't have the batteries to make it function. See, Christ didn't do that. He didn't say, here, here I am, but you can't have all of me. You got to wait. Here Paul is telling the Ephesians, man, here's the gift that God has given us, Christ, all of us, all of him. And then he says, I pray that your eyes, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or open. The word heart in scripture signifies the very core and center of life. It's like when you tell your kids, oh, I love you with all my heart, right? It it signifies it's the very core of your being, that with with your whole heart, that's everything. One pastor said that a lot of people are going to miss heaven by 10 inches, the distance between their head and their heart, because they... They won't listen to what their heart's trying to tell them. They keep analyzing. It's like when you're falling in love and, 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 and your heart's saying, she's the one or he's the one. But then your mind begins to say, but what if? What? And your mind gets in the way. And it's like, just listen to your heart. Listen to what, what God is speaking to you, right? Paul's prayer is that the Ephesians would know Christ better. In that last little portion of, of, of this passage, I remember when I read this and, I, and, and it's just one of those Open the eye moments where God just revealed something to it. I had read it before, but it says the riches of his glorious inheritance. His inheritance. His being God and his inheritance being the Ephesians. So us, we are God's inheritance. God looks at us, looks at us and says, man, I inherited you guys. Like we think of God as our gift and he is. But Paul wanted the Ephesians to understand that they are so precious to God that he considered the Ephesians his own inheritance. Often we think of inheritance as, as, as just money, right? There's this documentary that I saw years ago about this guy who's an heir to this, this huge billion-dollar company, and at the age of 21, at midnight, he's going to receive some ridiculous amount of money that he'll never have to work another day in his life. And it's this, like, party, and all these people are there, and he's dressed up in a tux, and at midnight, he will inherit this money. We often think of inheritance as that, but here, God knows 
Or God is saying, hey, you guys, me, are my inheritance. Man, I get you guys. Through our flaws, through our sins, through our weaknesses. That's pretty cool. And that's why I pray that God would open my eyes to the gift of Christ every day this year. The second point, open my eyes to the church. You know, Eagle Bible Church exists to bring glory to God and good to the world as followers of Christ, committed to a church. What does committed mean? See, this year we, this year we celebrated New Year's. We were, we, did, we were at the house. We had um, sweets. We had food. We had all sorts of things, and people were there. We were playing board games, and we brought in the New Year sick. Not me. I waited till the day after, but... Uh, Cameron and Cass and Case, they were all sick, and my brother-in-law, they were all sick, and um, man, it was, uh, it was not the best New Year's, but it seems like every New Year's you reflect on the last year, and what God's done in your life, and areas of your life that you've succeeded, and areas of your life that you've come short. It's a time of reflection, right? And a time to make New Year's resolutions. Here's some New Year's resolutions for 2015 that I found. These are the top 10 most popular. Number one, what do you guys think? Lose weight. Exercise more. Yeah, that's number one. Number two was quit smoking. Number three was eat healthy. Number four was learn something new. Number five was spend less and save more. Number six was drink less alcohol. Number seven was travel. Number eight was give back to the community. Number nine was spend more time with family or loved ones. And number 10 was relax. Those are the top 10. How many of you made New Year's resolutions last year? None of you. That's because you know I'm going to say how many of you actually passed and succeeded, huh? Yeah, that's what I thought. But here's an interesting fact. 40 to 45% of American adults make one or more resolution each year. That means 55 to 60% don't even attempt it. They say, hey, I'm smarter than that. I know I'm not going to last, so I'm not even going to make it, and that's going to be my resolution. So this is how many actually maintained, of those who actually made a a resolution, this is how many maintained their resolution as time went on. Past the first week, 75 made it. So 25, right off the bat, I'm done. Lasted three days. They're like, no, I'm not losing weight. This isn't going to work. They quit after the first seven days. Past the first two weeks, 71%. So it began to get lower. After one month, 64% succeeded. So about half failed after the first month. After six months, only 46% had actually kept the resolution. I was looking at the Eagle Bible Church vision packet that Judd had sent me months, actually about a year and a half ago. And it said this under the section of church, love one another, a cross centered life blossom in a, blossoms in a community of sacrificial commitment. You know, John 15, 13, and 14 says this, greater love has no one more, no one than this, to lay down one's life for, the ones, for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. A sacrificial love, living for something bigger than yourself is what the packet says. And for 2015, man, I'm praying, God, help me to, Love sacrificially the church. Help me to serve the church better. Help me to pray for the church better. Like I'm not just saying that because I, you know, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I'm like, man, I want to I wanna do better. Like, I want to, because I don't, I just want to. 
you know, I asked Cameron, I mean, you can ask her, months ago, I, it wasn't like I just asked her these questions this month so I could say this. I was like, babe, I want to, I want to, man, I just, I don't pray for the church as much as, or as much as I could or should. Man, I, I'm like, I don't, I don't sacrificially love all the time or a lot. There's time I love, I don't even, I'm like, uh, I don't wake up in the morning every Sunday and say, yes, I get to go to church. It's like, kids, get in the car. Come on, quick, grab I'm putting my shoes on halfway out. And then I show up, and it's like 50 kids. Ah, you know. Um, but it's, 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 it's something that right there, it's a sacrificially commit, a sacrificial commitment. And there's times where there is that. And so this isn't a plug-in for Eagle Bible Church. Hey, commit to Eagle Bible Church. This is, our, this is where you need to be. But it's a, a, it's a call to commit to a local body. I remember in college, when I went to college, a pastor told me, he goes, hey, find a church that, you've, that you agree with, you like the teaching and you like the worship, whatever. But, but more than that, as soon as you're there, start serving. Because your passion will grow once you start serving. He goes, otherwise, you're going to be there for a week, and then you're going to go to another church, and you're going to go to another church, and you're going to go to another church. And by the time you're done, a year, two years, three years, four years will be, by, will be done. And I went to Bible college, and at the end of four years, I knew people who had never committed really to a church because they never really wanted to, and ultimately they found something wrong with every church they were part of. And so this isn't a plug-in for Eagle Bible Church, but a commitment to the local body. Often, many times, church is viewed as a New Year's resolution rather than God's plan for us Christians. It's okay to attend a church until something goes wrong, and then you could, ah, just scratch it. Be one of that 46% that just said, ah, I'm done. Now, it's okay to attend our church if you've gone to another church. We're not saying, hey, do not, um, if you come from another church, this isn't where you're supposed to be. Hey, that's between you and the Lord, and if you feel like the Lord was calling you to this church or to another church, man, praise the Lord. What I'm talking about are those who say, ah, I don't like the kind of, worship they're doing i'm out of here and they go to the next church "Ah, i don't like the kind of cookies that they're having back in the back "Ah, i don't like that they don't serve dunkin donuts coffee i'm out of here ah i didn't get greeted 26 times i only got greeted 25 times i'm out of here oh man that sermon was three minutes too long i'm out of here people who begin to do that i think you guys can hear my heart behind that but here he's saying the psalmist in verse 18 is saying, open my eyes. Praying that God would open his eyes. And that's what I'm asking. And just, man, God, how do you want to open my eyes to the church this year? We often call church a church what? The F word, church. Family. Family. Some guys like, oh, no, family. You know, church family. We often call a church a church family. And many of you have weird relatives. You guys experienced that this past Christmas. The weird uncle. I know I did growing up. You got the weird uncle or the weird aunt or the weird cousin or the weird brother or weird brother-in-law. If you don't, I got bad news. You're that weird relative. (laughs) So you are. Trust me. Um. But man, when it's real family, you, uh, you deal with it. You stick it out. You accept it. You say, you know what? This is my family. 
this is who God has given me, and there's nothing I can do, and make the best of it. And I'm going to pray extra hard when we have those family reunions, right? That's what you do. Church family is sometimes difficult. It's sometimes disagree with each other. We sometimes get hurt by each other. But it's worth it. It brings accountability. It brings relationships. It brings support during difficult times. I know our church, we've gone through difficult times. We've, we've, we've had that. And we support each other. It brings life. It brings encouragement. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says this, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. If you ever thought of that, if you ever sharpened iron with iron, it's a pretty fierce process. Try touching that iron after you've sharpened it. It's pretty hot. It's not the simplest and the most gentle process, but that's what a church family is. Back to the vision statement that Judd and the elders had. It's a sacrificial love, living for something bigger than yourself. The third is open my eyes to the culture. John 15, 18 to 23 says this. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the, of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that the world that I said to you, a servant is no, not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. We are told that the world will still hate us. Hate what Christians stand for, right? But the Bible also says, don't fear and be confident. In John 15, 26, 27, it says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. You know, God promised, or Christ promises that, promises that we're going to have difficult times. That the world's going to hate us going to hate Christians, hate followers of Christ because of what Christians stand for, because of what the Bible teaches. But we're also told to don't be afraid, to, to be confident. You know, there's a quote that I think many of you have heard, preach the gospel at all times and when, when necessary, use words. These are words that from St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. I used to love that quote. And I, I, I used to love it. And in college, I remember, I think I had it on my wall. I wrote on a piece of paper, and I put it there. And over time, I've learned to not like it as much. I'll tell you why. Um, and if you like it, that's fine. But um, I think it's great in theory. But the problem with this is I think a lot of Christians hide behind this quote. And they conveniently hide behind it and say, I'm not going to share I'm going to let my life just share Christ. And yes, that's true. We need to do that. But Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do people hear? 
We're to proclaim the good news. We're to share it. We're to verbally express it. How we live is absolutely sharing the gospel. And how we proclaim is part of that. Imagine if Christ only came and lived by that verse of St. Francis of Assisi. If he never said a single word and just allowed his life to be that example. Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 through 14 says, I want you to know, brothers, here Paul is writing, he says, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Here Paul's in prison and, and he's, he's rejoicing. He's saying, man, my, these guys have, are more confident and more bold to speak the word without fear. I mean, isn't that really what it comes down to? I mean, I'll admit there's times where I'm afraid to, to share when someone's asking for going through a situation or they're going through a problem in their life. Man, that's, that's hard to say. Here's a, let me tell you what the Bible says. You know, there's this really cool uh, I Am Second video. If you don't know it, go to IamSecond.com. It's a really cool video about people who, who know Christ and um, famous people that you wouldn't even expect know Christ, and they are. And there's a guy who who's a, started a blockbuster company. He has, his dad started waste management and a multi, multi-millionaire. And uh, he says, you know, I was, I was chasing money. And, and one day I, I uh, had the opportunity to go in a submarine with a Navy, uh, a Navy officer, and uh, I said, yes, I'm in. And so he went, and he spent a few days down there, and he got really uh, excited about meeting with this guy. And, and the guy's like, yeah, come on my boat. We'll, we'll hang out. We'll talk. And so they, they do that, and uh, this guy said, hey, um, he noticed that he commands so many men, 120 men in this submarine. He goes, this guy has some leadership lessons. Man, so he asked him, hey, how do, you, how do you lead your guys? How do you, you know, because all he wanted to get was the nugget of how he leads people into, uh, ultimately, he wanted to make more money. And this captain of the submarine says, I read scripture, and by, the Bible is my guide. And he noticed every time this guy would give a leadership lesson, he would share the scripture with him. He led through the Bible. And ultimately, this guy began to, to meet with him more, and, and, uh, Man, the testimony of this is, is really awesome. He talks about how he was in a church, and he walked down the aisle crying like a baby. He said, I just need to give my life to the Lord because of this guy's leadership and how he, everything pointed back to Christ. And I thought, man, that's, that's pretty cool. Here Paul is saying, man, the Lord, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Here's an interesting statistic, a few of them. 82% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited. The only 2% of church members, excuse me, only 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church. 98% of churchgoers never attend, extend an invitation in a given year. Here's another study, another one. A study including more than 15,000 adults revealed that about two-thirds 
are willing to receive information about a local church from a family member and 56% from, from a friend or neighbor. The issue of affinity also surfaced in the responses. 35% indicated they would be inspired to attend church if I knew there were people like me there. So normal people like us, messed up, just trying to serve the Lord and living life, right? 4% of formerly churched adults are actively looking for a church if to attend regularly. 6% would prefer to resume attending regularly in the same church they had attended. The largest group, 62%, is not actively looking, but is open to the idea of attending church regularly again. The last one, much to the surprise of the chicken little crowd, people are still going to church, and more people would attend if given one simple thing, an invitation. That's LifeWay Research. You know, our culture is, is one that is lost. And so many of our friends and people we work with just don't know the Lord. And here the psalmist in verse 118 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Here this passage combines prayer and the word. So praying for that our eyes would be open to Christ, praying that our eyes would be open to the church, and praying that our eyes would be open to our culture. Lastly, he says, the, to see wondrous things out of your law. This passage sees us three things, that there are wondrous things in the word of God, right? There are wondrous things. We need our eyes to be open. There's secular scholars who have read the Bible, Greek, Hebrew, original text. They've read it 50, 60 times. They know it. They can quote it, but it hasn't touched their heart. They know it by their head, memory. Second is no one can see these wondrous things for what they are without God's supernatural help. So open my eyes. Third is we must pray to God for supernatural illumination. Humbly pray. Admit that we can't see. Admit that our eyes need, our eyes need to be opened. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's amazing when the word just comes to life and when, when you get it. One of those moments where your eyes are open. You know, all last month during December, Cameron bought this really cool advent calendar that we would read to the girls every night. It's like two pages long and um, the kids always want to interject. Oh, remember that one? And they want to talk and you're like, hold on, let me just read. But they're so excited because Christmas is coming and, and all you want to do is read the advent and, and they start going off on tangents like little kids do. So we'd have to calm them down and be like, all right, we're just going to, right now we're just going to save our questions till the end. And so we read on the 24th, after 24 days of reading, we read on the 24th, the night before Christmas, where we're sitting down in, our, in the room and we're reading the Advent calendar. And uh, I had this really cool moment where, where Belle, my oldest, she's seven year old, years old, stops. She goes, I get it. It's like God writing us a letter showing us who he is. Like it was this moment where she's just like, her, her jaw drops, she gets it. We're reading this Advent, she's like, God's, the Bible is God's letter to us, trying to tell us who he is. Like she connected these pieces by herself. And it was just these, this opening of her eyes, and, and, and we're like, that's right, Belle. I'll go to bed. Just kidding. 
We didn't say that. But it was. It's like, man, she gets it. She got it. So cool. When God's word guides our life, and there are so many people that are lost who are struggling in so many ways because they don't allow the word of God to guide their lives. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And at times I think, why wouldn't you want to just let the truth guide you? So what does that mean? What does it mean for God to open our eyes this year? As Piper said in, in, in his video, James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. It's a simple prayer. Verse 18 of, of Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I think that's a humble prayer, and I think that's a prayer that would impact all of our lives. And that's my prayer this year. So I want to close in prayer, and then our elder Brian Foster is going to come forward and, and do communion. Heavenly Father, we just come to you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for who you are. We thank you, God, because you've given us the privilege to come before you, to seek you, to communicate with you. And Lord, I pray this year, God, that uh, one, you'd be known. There's people here who don't know you that they would, they would make a commitment. They would, they would say, Lord, I, I need you in my life. I'm tired of not following the truth. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. God, for those who are believers here, I pray that we would even more so believe in your son Christ. That we would op- ask that you'd open our eyes to the church and to the culture that you've placed us in. God, I pray that uh, your word would reveal wondrous things to us, that our eyes would be open. God, we need you. We're lost without you. And so we ask right now that, uh, that you just be with us. Open our hearts this week in Jesus' name.